I said this in first service, but I don't pull double duty that often. And it's quite a shift mentally to go from one to the other. I've only had to do this one other time. I interned at a church, my very first church I ever interned at, and uh, went to an interview to, to be a youth, youth pastor intern there. And I was, there was no youth pastor. I was going to intern underneath of the lead pastor. And so I go to this interview with the pastor, with the board. They decided to have me come. And a couple weeks went by, and I get a phone call from the pastor. And he's like, I hate to tell you, but I accepted another church. And so uh, I was, he said, do you still want to come? I'm like, well, I guess. I mean, I need some experience. I said, nothing like trial by fire. So uh, I, I go to this church, and um, I was a youth guy, so I'm working with teenagers. And so there was a couple different Sunday mornings where I led the teen stuff before the, before the service, and then I led worship. And then back in the old days, we used to do special music, and I sang the special music, and then I preached the, the sermon. So this is not, quote-unquote, out of my wheelhouse. It just, it just messes with your brain. As you get older, especially as you get older, it messes with you a little bit to shift gears. So just uh, bear with me if you don't mind this morning uh, as, as, we, as we get started looking into God's Word and what He might have to say to us this morning. But uh, if, if I started to quote uh, some scripture, uh, I, just, I would just love to know if you could help me finish these passages of scripture. Nothing too hard, but I just want to see how many of us can recall some things that we've learned probably years and years ago. So the first passage of scripture would be, I'm going to say it, you're just going to keep going when I stop, okay? So loud and proud, and there was people in first service, I could tell, like, they were a little bashful to keep going because they didn't know what version of scripture it might be finished in. So don't, no, never fear, the word of God is here, and you can quote whatever version you want, okay? So here's the first one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Good. All right. Somebody was listening in children's church that day. Because everybody knows John 3, 16. I mean, if you've been around the church any time at all, that... That's probably one of the first passages that you, you learned, right? One of the first passages you memorized. All right, what about this one? Maybe a little tougher, but I think it's, it's one that most people know. For I know the plans. So some versions say hope and future. Some say future and hope. Doesn't matter. You guys got it. Good job. Last one. And I think everybody in here knows this one. I can do good, man. You guys are on it. These these passages. These are the ones I think. Uh, maybe for me, maybe I can introduce you to this thought process. These are the ones I think I would kind of label like the bold print, right? The bold print of Scripture to me are the passages of Scripture that um, uh, you know they're on a T-shirt or. Uh, on a coffee cup, or um, if, you know, in your house, you've got this big sign, it's, well, maybe some of them are a little small in this, but it's bold letters, and it says, blessed, these are the passages to be right next to that sign, on the mantle, uh, and if you're really trendy and cool, maybe the bold print scriptures are the ones that you have tattooed on you, right? <laughs> the bold print, they're, they're the ones that kind of just stick around, we, we know them, right? We, we learn them at an early age, 
and they're just, they're just like what we just did, right? Somebody starts it, you can finish it. And some of you are like bi-versional, so you know different versions of Scripture, and you can quote it, whatever, and you're kind of listening. Is it, is it thou, or am I going to say thee? So you, you kind of know. You, you kind of, you've, you've been around long enough. So we would call these, I would call these, the bold print in Scripture. But what would be considered maybe the fine print of Scripture? Um, I've, I've got a couple that I want us to look at, and they'll be up on the screen. But these would be what I would say would be the fine print of Scripture. They're not sellable. Okay, these, these wouldn't be the ones that would, quote, market well. Uh, these wouldn't be the ones that, that you know, somebody's going to have... Uh, tattooed or on their shirt. These are the ones that, they're, they're equally great, but they're not the ones that you memorize. Maybe some of them are, and for you, you must have been a Bible quizzer, so kudos to you. But maybe some of you don't know these, but these would be maybe some of the ones that I would qualify as maybe the fine print. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, it says this, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Not very marketable, right? Because we like to do things ourselves, right? We like to just do it, get it done. Hey, look what I can do. Hey, have you seen this? And then social media comes along and we post pictures about what we did to brag about it, right? But not very many people were like, hey, I committed my ways to the Lord and look what he did. He established these plans. Like, we, it's just not marketable, right? So this might be one of the fine print. Maybe 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. This might be one. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You seen that one as a tattoo recently? Uh, that's not one that, that's marketable, right? It doesn't, doesn't apply well. I don't see this one sitting on the mantle either uh, next to the blessed sign. It's just, it just doesn't happen. But these are equally good verses of Scripture. All right, what about this one? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Okay, we like that. That, one, that one's pretty good. But if you take it out of context, it's only... Rejoice always, because we like, you know, we like that. We like to be happy, right? Pray continually. Okay, that one works until somebody, a pastor says, hey, we're going to have a 24-hour prayer vigil, and then the time slot from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., empty. Because that's not a marketable verse, right? We, we don't like to apply that one as much for some reason. So rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Okay, this is my, this, this, you know, we just went from rejoice always, pray continually, that's a little harder, and then we give thanks in all circumstances. Okay, it might not be as high as here, but giving thanks in all circumstances, okay, this is, maybe I can apply this when things are good, but it says in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, not something that we're probably going to wear on our t-shirt. These are hard things. These are, these are passages that we know, but when we really take them and we try to apply them to our life, there's something that happens and there's this little bit of disconnect in when the fine print starts to be applied. All right, last one. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Not a marketable verse either. This just doesn't sell in like the Christian bookstores. You're not going to see this. I just sounded really old because I realized there's not a whole lot of Christian bookstores anymore. <laughs> I really, I, I just realized like Zondervan or whatever that, what was the, what was the big one that used to be? Family Christian. I mean, you used to go in there all the time. You'd see all these signs. 
this one isn't one that you would have seen in that store, uh, you know, but it, it's equally powerful, it's equally true, but it's hard when we try to apply it, right? Be very careful then how you live. We like the not as unwise part, right? Because we like to live as wise people, we want to think of ourselves as smart, but be very careful how you live. When we treat our lives with care, when we take these passages of Scripture, begin to apply them, something different happens. The fine print. The fine print. How many of you ever signed a document and missed something in the fine print? Anybody willing to admit it? No? All right. Maybe, maybe it was in a mortgage. You, you went to sign like the documents on the, the sale of your house or something. That's not the mortgage. But whenever you went to buy your house, maybe there was one in the disclosure. There was something in the disclosure that you missed. You move into the house. You find this thing, whatever the problem might be to you, and you're like, you're going back through like all 87 pages of those pieces of paper thinking, it's not in here. They didn't disclose it. We're going to go to court. And then you get to like page 85 of 87, and it's like, it's right there. It was in the document, and all you did was look for the sign here, right? We miss the fine print sometimes. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe, maybe it was uh, some sort of investment that you made, and you just, you know, you didn't realize that there was some things that can happen if that investment didn't go in your way, and, and when you signed to do that, it cost you. I don't know, maybe for you it wasn't any of those things. Maybe, maybe you've experienced divorce and there were things in, in those papers that neither you or your attorney, your lawyer, whatever, maybe, maybe they didn't catch. And so now you're living with some of those problems of not being able to catch what was in the fine print. I mean, have you ever just stopped and watched the drug commercials on TV and listened Y'all remember, if, if you're my age, you would remember, remember the Micro Machines commercial? Anybody remember? And the dude that was on the Micro Machines commercial, I don't know his name or I would have used, used it, but his voice, he could actually speak that fast. Now they hire people to speak slowly and then speed their voice up so that you miss what's in the fine print of the adverse reactions of that particular drug, right? But if you listen to those things and, and real, I mean, profuse vomiting could be one of the things that's in the... The, the side effects of that particular drug, and you're like, man, but everybody on the commercial looks so happy. They've got it. It's, everything's fine, right? You go to your doctor. You talk to your doctor. The doctor's like, yeah, let's do this. You, you look like a good candidate for this. You try it. Boom. Profuse vomiting. You may happen to watch the commercial later, and profuse vomiting. You're like, holy smokes. He actually said it in there, you know? We miss it because we're only looking for what we want to look for. We miss the fine print. Because we want to pick out what's good for us. What about those download and user agreements? I mean, let's be honest. iTunes and Google Play could own you right now. You, everybody scrolled all the way. Where do I put that little check marks in that box? Anybody read those downloads? There, there might be some weirdo in here that's read them. If so, I'm going to shake your hand. I've never read one of them, Okay. But nobody reads those, and, and, and we don't know what it says in there until something happens that you're forced to go back and look at it. It's the fine print, and it's everywhere in our lives. It's everywhere. And I believe that there are a lot of passages in Scripture that, that could be considered maybe the fine print. 
I believe there are a ton of them. I picked out a couple there earlier, but I believe there are a ton of them in Scripture that, that we just kind of skim over. And, and maybe for one reason or another, we skim over them because, and they, they just don't sink in, right? We, we've heard it. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. You just keep reading. Uh, maybe for whatever reason, that, that it just didn't hit you right or just didn't feel like something you needed to know. Or maybe you think that that particular passage isn't for you. It's not for you, or maybe you feel like it's not for you in this current season of your life. Whatever that season might be, you feel like when you read that, that passage of Scripture, it's like, ah, this doesn't really apply to me now. And, and then we just keep reading. Keep going on to something else, because there's always something else that you need to get to. Maybe for one reason or another, the fine print of Scripture just doesn't, it doesn't adhere to our heart and our mind the way that these others do. And, and I can't pinpoint that for you. I, I don't know why that is. I'm not a good memorizer. I can't do that. I was a horrible Bible quizzer. I tried for one year, and uh, I, I, I learned later why I wasn't good. I had testing anxiety as a kid, and uh, quizzing always seemed like a, a, a test to me. And I, I was like, I, one year and I was done. And then everybody in church, I felt like everybody in church looked at me like, oh, you're the pastor's kid and you're not quizzing? So, uh, but I learned, I learned. I've dealt with it. But, uh, but there, are, there are things in our life that for whatever reason, this fine print just doesn't really stick well. But I think we've all heard and we all know passages uh, of scripture that are, that are like that fine print. And we're gonna look at one this morning. We're gonna land in Daniel chapter three. And there's a part in this passage that everyone in here, if you've been around, I, I say everyone because I, I generalize, but if you've been around the church for any length of time, if, if you're new to church within the last several years, you're kind of exempt from this and that's cool. Uh, but I want to talk about this story from Daniel. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody remember that? Is that fresh on everybody? You, you kind of know that story. But there's something in here that's, that's kind of like the fine print of application that I think that we can take away from this. But before we get to that, kind of have to set up the background so that you know why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves facing the fiery furnace, right? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're Jews. Uh, the king, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king that's mentioned in the story, and his kingdom kind of overtook uh, the Jews in their time. And so instead of like killing off everyone, King Nebuchadnezzar was like, well, Let's just take some of their strongest, best-looking guys, whatever, the sharpest guys that we can get, and let's apply them into our armies, our leadership. We'll put them in leadership over you know, their areas of people because they know them. So King Nebuchadnezzar had this great idea, but the people that King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had with him originally, they didn't like these, these Jewish guys. They didn't like these, these guys being in leadership of areas that really they were qualified to lead. And so there were things that King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do. And his men, his original men, tried to trap these guys in the midst of what they were doing. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes this, this uh, 90-foot-tall statue of gold. And he says to everybody in the kingdom that when you hear the music being played, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you stop what you're doing. And you bow down and you worship the statue, basically his God. You worship my God that I've created. Uh, and then life goes on after you do that. And then if you don't do that, what you face is the fiery furnace. So these guys, they didn't do that. And so the, the, the king's original guys, they, they knew that Jadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not doing this. So they trapped them and they, they came back and told the king and the king was mad. 
And that's where we're going to catch up with the story. It's in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, and it says this. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all other kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you not, do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God would be able to rescue from my hand? All right, does this sound familiar, parents? Okay, so these guys, they didn't do it. They're automatically in trouble. They're brought before the king. If you're an older sibling or a younger sibling, the middle sibling is the one that gets what this is all about. But you as a parent, you're like, okay, one, two, three, three, three. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing, right? He's doing the whole one, two, three thing for these guys. Be like, hey, you've had your first chance. I'm going to let you redeem yourself. He's furious with them and giving them every opportunity to save themselves. And this is what they do. Next slide, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. We want you to know your majesty. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Able to deliver us from your majesty. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Pause right there. I have some friends in my life that I've gotten into trouble with. And there's always one friend that speaks up. And the other friends of us, when we're together and that friend speaks up, we're like, dude, shut up. You're going to get us in trouble. I can't imagine that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said these things in unison. There's always one guy that's going to speak up and say something that you're like, whoa, wait a second. Uh, I'm here with you right now, but I am not with you right now. Right? We know people like that. I I don't want to say that you know, maybe they did all say it in unison. I don't know. But I would like to imagine that one of them was kind of like the ride the edge of trouble all the time. And they kind of looked at him, you know, like, dude, watch it. But I also like to imagine the face of King Nebuchadnezzar when they said this. Because what surprise would be on his face when he heard one of these guys, King We don't have to defend ourselves to you in this matter. The God we serve is able to deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know we ain't doing it. Fine print. I think this this story is great. And for those of you who don't know this story, these guys faced the fiery furnace. They didn't do it. A king was mad, heated up seven times hotter than normal. Had some of his biggest dudes uh, haul these guys over to the fiery furnace. The big dudes, so hot, the big guys, they died before they could even get there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the furnace. God shows up in the furnace, saves them. Uh, They're called out of the furnace, don't smell like smoke. 
not a singe hair on there. I mean, I've lit my grill and had more hair singe than these guys did. Uh, but th- there was nothing, no adverse reaction, responses to what happened to them in the fire because God was with them in the midst of their circumstances. And these guys were willing to say, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't show up, we're not doing it. How many of you are like that? How many of you can say, yeah, my faith is so intact, you can throw whatever you want at me, I ain't doing it. I don't think that we're there. And I'm not saying, maybe you are. Great, I'd like to shake your hand too. But maybe there's some of us in this room that like, I think that there's some fine print in scripture that, that we have skimmed over for so long that it just didn't sink in and our lives could have been changed so drastically and dramatically if we would have taken the fine print applied it to our heart, applied it to our life, and stepped out in faith. And that's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. You want to see some more cool stuff? Look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, or chapter 6 and 7, where Stephen was stoned. You know why Stephen was stoned? Because he was following God the Father, and he was following Jesus' example when Jesus was here on earth, and he just oozed the love of God. He loved everybody. He ticked people off because he was so much like what they tried to put in the box they couldn't put in the box. And, and, and Stephen was like, no. So he was brought in before the Sanhedrin to give himself, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to give himself his time to kind of you know, give his peace or whatever, make his statement so that he could defend himself. And you know what he does? Stephen preaches this message. And you know what happens? Everybody got saved. No, they drugged the dude out, stoned him. They were ticked. It says in in my version of scripture, the NIV, it says that they they, they gnashed their teeth. That just kind of gives me cold chills to think about doing that. But these guys were so mad that Stephen went to his own defense by preaching the message that he was living out. Stephen was living the fine print. What, What about Job? Nobody really likes to preach Job or likes to teach from Job because what if it's us? All right, so Job had everything. Very powerful guy uh, as far as just what his wealth was able to obtain for him. So he had, I mean, more than you can imagine. I said this in first service. I didn't realize how dumb it sounded, but, you know, more than you can imagine. I said he had camels. And I'm like, nobody in here imagines that we have camels. So he had, like, cars. He had houses. He had anything that... that makes you feel wealthy and powerful. I mean, Job had it. You know what happened in this story of Job? This, this just messes with my spiritual brain more than I can care to imagine. But the, here, just bear with me. Because what happened to Job, he lost everything. But do you know why he lost everything? Because Satan was able to be in the presence of God. You can read this for yourself. Satan was able to be in the presence of God. Satan saw that Job served God and had a bunch of stuff. And Satan said, look, if you let me go after Job, he'll turn on you. He'll worship me. If you you just let me go after him. And you know what? In the presence of Jesus, Satan is saying these. In the presence of God, Satan is saying these things. And you know what God says? He won't do it. Matter of fact, you go ahead and do whatever you want, except for kill him. You can't kill him. Anything else you want to do, we'll see who's right. You know what happened? Everything was gone. He found himself like with these 
these horrible sores all over his body. He's sitting there scraping these sores. His three friends show up. You, you ever have a couple friends? You're in a down situation. You got some friends that show up, and they're trying to tell you to do what you know you shouldn't do. And you're like, no. Job had these three guys show up, and they, there's chapter upon chapter upon chapter in, in the book of Job, where these guys are like telling Job, hey, just don't, all you have to do is this. Like, don't do what you're doing. Don't serve the God. And Job's like, how can I not? Even in the midst of his situation, Job was able to live out the fine print of his faith and was able to face all of this stuff. And you know what happened at the end of this book of Job is Satan and God are together again. And God says, look, I told you he wasn't going to flip. And everything was restored to Job, more than what he had before. Now, I'm not a wealth and prosperity teacher, preacher up here this morning, because really, when it all comes down to it, it's all burned up anyway. But what I want you to hear is God wants to restore you back to more than you could ever imagine. And when we walk right past these fine print in Scripture, we miss so much of God's goodness and what he wants to do in us. And when we apply that fine print, it begins to sharpen our faith. It begins to make our faith stronger to where when we take that step of faith, we can see God working in our advance rather than us trying to make things happen. Some of you are wondering, you know, this is all great, Paul, but what does this have to do with me? Uh, how, How does the fine print of scripture work when I apply it to my life. Well, I came up with three very simple things. There's a lot more than this, but there are three very simple things that I think that we can apply on how the fine print of scripture can work in your life, all right? Thing number one, when you apply the fine print of scripture in your life, it changes your attitude. Changes your attitude. And you're like, come on, man. Seriously, it's not gonna make me feel better. I believe it can. Because when, when, when we apply those things, it doesn't really change our, our attitude, it really, well, we're going to get to that in, in the third one in just a minute. But understand this, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the little phrase that they uttered, but even if he does not, it changed their whole situation because they applied these things, the stories that they heard from their past, the things that they knew about Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. They were living these stories out because the God that the stories were all about, that these guys knew about, part of the Red Sea brought down manna, made water come from a rock. I mean, this is the God. So why would their God not provide for them in the face of of their king? So it changed their attitude. By applying these things, it changed the attitude of their situation. Even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it. All right, so thing one, changes our attitude. The second thing that it does is it allows God to work. When we apply the fine print of scripture, it allows God to work. So there's a lot of different ways in which like, you, you can think this through, but when we live like, uh, like we're in charge of things, the outcome is never as good as its potential. But when we apply the fine print of Scripture to our lives, the outcome of what, we don't have to feel like we're pulling the strings. We don't have to feel like we have to do it or we have to make it happen or it has to, if, it, if it's not me, it won't be. That's like some old phrase or something. If it is to be, it's up to me. Listen, and when we apply this stuff to our life, it changes the outcome because our faith is being furthered by the fine print. 
You don't ever have to feel like you're the one pulling the strings. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had a choice to bow down and worship or to live out their faith. And God worked through their faith, and he wants to work through your faith. So when we apply the fine print, it changes your attitude. It allows God to work. And number three, it changes the outcome. It changes the outcome of your situation, whatever season it is. It changes when we apply these small, super big principles that come in the fine print. They're so small, and we can read right over them so quickly, but they're so big, they can change everything about the outcome of what we're facing. When we live like everything depends on God rather than depending on us, the outcome of our situation happens to be the best that it ever could be. You couldn't imagine it any better when you let God do what he needs to do rather than you feeling like and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together because God knows what's best. I want you to see this, what, what Job said. We, we talked about Job just a minute ago. But in Job uh, chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, it says this. This is Job speaking, so understand this. He says, why do I put my, myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Why do I try to do this? What is it? Do I think I can figure this whole thing out? Why do I do this? Here's another verse that just won't make it to your t-shirt or coffee cup. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Though he slay me, yet he takes my life. Still, I'm going to hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person would dare come before him. Though he slay me. Sounds an awful lot like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But even if he doesn't, though he slay me, that's, that's some fine print application. They knew about God. We, we read about God and you, we do devotions, but most of the time when you do devotions, you're hurrying on to get to something else. And so you really hope that, man, I really hope that on Sunday when I get to church, there's something really good for me because I really wasn't able to apply it all this week. And really what, what these guys knew all about scripture was that, man, I gotta apply this stuff. If my life is going to be the best that it can be, I need, to, I need to pay attention to every verse of what the Lord's word says. I have to. It's as if our life depends on it when we apply the fine print. Okay, you may not be facing death um, by the king or the Sanhedrin. Uh, maybe you're not in Job's shoes or you've lost everything. But thinking about applying the fine print of scripture, let me ask you this. How did you respond to that person who wronged you? What was your reaction? Was it in retaliation or words of grace? How did you handle that stressful situation? Anger or seeking God's guidance? What happened when you were faced with that loss? Whatever that loss might be, a loved one, family member, was scripture the first thing on your mind or did you try to fill that void with someone or something else? There's things that we do that we become accustomed to and they become habitual for us that we forget the fine print and how much it can help us walk through the heaviness 
of that situation. See, the way that we handle the good, the bad, the stressful, and the hard situations in our life, it really comes from how we apply the fine print. How will you handle those situations and allow God to use it for his glory? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road with our faith. When we apply the, the fine print, when we, when we put that into traction with our life, our faith begins to take hold and, and crazy things begin to happen where you can laugh when everybody's crying and, and you, can, you, can, you can do different things that, that just are not of your own power. Now, I know we, we quoted Jeremiah 29, 11 just a little bit ago, but do you all know the rest of that? 12 and 13, I'm going to read this to you because this might be the biggest fine print that we miss. I'm sure you've seen Jeremiah 29, 11 like everywhere. But don't take Jeremiah 29, 11 without 12 and 13 because you really cheapen verse 11. So verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, right? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Oh, that's good, right? Don't forget verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Fine print. You want to find out what God wants for you, you got to seek him. And not just when you think it's spiritually cool to do so, you got to seek him with your whole heart. You want joy abundantly in your home over Christmas and Thanksgiving when things just aren't pieced together right? Seek him with your whole heart. Don't think you can just compartmentalize, I'll give him this part. It's not how it works. Because if you want the good stuff, the good plans, the, the, the plans to make you prosperous and, and make you better, it starts with seeking him with your whole heart. Teenagers, don't you ever think for a minute that seeking with your whole heart can happen when you're an adult because most of them haven't started doing it yet. It starts now. You seek him out now when nobody else is doing it. And adults, you, you do it right now. I don't care what's happening in your workplace. You seek out his face in the midst of your trash and watch how he works. Watch how he builds you up. Watch how his plans come to fruition in your life and he begins to prosper you. And people are looking at you like, what is wrong with her? It's not what's wrong, it's what's right because you saw it and you understand that the fine print needs to be applied when we seek him. And don't forget, because it says it right there, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Don't miss that, folks. Don't, don't put these passages of scripture up and be like, look how... Christian I am, because there's a lot more. We got, we got a lot to learn about. We, I'm in the same bus with you. There's a lot that we have to learn about how applying these fine print passages of scripture to our life will make us everything that God wants us to be. Far too often, I think that this right here becomes more like your owner's manual of your car. It, you know where it's at. It's in the glove box, closed up. And you, you never really refer to the owner's manual until something goes wrong. And now you're like, I got to figure this out. You 
open up the owner's manual, and then you start to learn, like, man, my windshield wipers actually come on by themselves if I set them right. And, and you start to learn, like, man, if I would have opened up the owner's manual a long time ago, I would have saved myself a lot of trouble. Far too often, we let the owner's manual sit in the glove box. And there's a lot of fine print that needs to be taken out of the glove box and applied to our spiritual lives so that those people that are walking around a lost and dark and dying world can see the hope of Jesus in you. Those who are, I, I struggled with this this morning because I'm like, how do you shift gears to go from this to like communion? But it works, right? It works because Jesus what he said to his disciples when they were about to take communion, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. And he was right there with them. And so I think this morning, as we just kind of spiritually just shift gears in our mind, in our heart, I'm just gonna ask those of you who are coming to the table this morning to distribute the elements, I just ask that you would come. Because the only thing I know best to do at this point in, in this message is just to pray for us that in some way, shape, or form, we would be able to take what we've heard and unashamedly apply it to our lives. Father God, we've met with you today. And I say it like that on purpose because you were here before any of us showed up. You don't just show up because we show up. You're here. And Father, I am so thankful that we are able to gather in your presence this morning. Father, we've heard a message that it's even challenged me, and I'm up here saying stuff. It's challenged me. So, God, I pray that your word, what you've given me to say today, would not fall on deaf ears and that you would challenge our hearts. And as we, even now, stand up and move to receive the elements of communion, I pray that we would not just do it out of habit. I pray that it would become real, it would become new, it would become fresh in us, and that we would apply the very things you told your disciples to do with these elements. Father, bless this time. Bless these elements. May it be real to us today. It's your name that we pray. Amen.